Hi and welcome to Reasonable and Necessary, Australia's premier podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. I'm your host, Dr. George Talaporis, and in this episode of our special series on COVID-19, we talk to the acting NDIS Commissioner, Samantha Taylor, about mandatory vaccination and the role of disability service providers in supporting us to stay safe through the pandemic. Hi Sam, thank you for joining us. Hi George, it's great to be here with you again. I want to start with a really important question and that's about the vaccination rollout for people with disabilities. How are you feeling about how we've done, considering that NDS participants are still falling behind compared to the general population? Well, George, look, that is a really good question and a really controversial one. Um, I don't want to... The Royal Commission's already given its view about how we've gone with the vaccination program for people with disability and, um, and, of course, They've heard directly from people with disability about their feelings about how that's gone, and um, and so I'm not going to add to that. I, I think uh, I think we should be in a much better position than we are now. I, I think that people with disability have once again, um, you know, come out and uh, you know asked for. Um, the support they need to engage with the vaccination program. Providers in the main have supported them where they've needed uh, that assistance, Uh, but we are behind uh, in a number of areas and uh, we've been working so hard to try and and, um, make up the pace. Uh, Why do you think we're behind? Well, we're a little bit behind general population numbers. Why do you think we're behind? I think we're behind because... I think um, the places that people that have been set up for people to access the vaccination, um, the the general accessibility of those places are not um, always what's going to suit people with disability. Um, I reflect on my own experience of, of living in Sydney and going out and making trying to make a booking myself to. Um, go and have a vaccination. It was hard, hard enough um, for me to do that. Um, and then going to a really big area that had, you know, thousands of people all lining up and, um, you know, waiting to be vaccinated for a really long time. Well, you know, those two things, the booking system um, and the need to wait in, in, in such a you know, in such a big crowd, you know, that, that's not going to work for every person. People are going to be nervous. They're going to need help. Um, they might just be really hesitant about about going in, out into the community with that number of people in the middle of a pandemic, for goodness sake, where they feel vulnerable. So I just, I just don't think that the things that um, have been set up for the general population um, in vaccination has necessarily been uh, designed in a way that's going to meet the needs of people with disability. Uh, I think there's been some inroads into that, but uh, but there's there's more to be done 
and they're and there are new um, and innovative ways of, of uh, supporting people to be vaccinated that have popped up over the last few months that are, that are really great like some of the um, the very specific area um, vaccination centers that um, are are conducive to people with autism, for example, is that's fantastic. Uh, but they certainly weren't part of the original uh, rollout, and um, probably we probably should have thought better uh, about some of the 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 more accessible ways of supporting people to access the vaccination. Do you think that support providers are doing enough? Look, I think the large providers, a number of providers around the country, have been absolutely. Uh, doing more than their fair share. Uh, we've had large providers who have set up vaccination hubs. Um, they've made sure that the vaccination's been offered to people that they support, um, and, and they've done a terrific job with that, absolutely terrific. Uh, I think there are some providers, many providers, who might not really have understood how powerful their support for a person might be in helping them to be vaccinated. So we've done a lot of work in um, reminding providers just what they can do, that, that they can help people to um, make a booking. They can help them to uh, go along to that appointment. Uh, they can help them go to their GP uh, if they're worried or they feel like they need more information about how their vaccine affects them. And, and providers, I think, have, have started to take up that, that call where uh, maybe they don't have, um, uh, you know, a very ongoing relationship with, with participants in the NDIS and, uh, you know, they understand that they've got a role now and, uh, and we're certainly reminding them of it. They, they can do more. There's no doubt. They're, they're trusted people in people's lives and they should be providing them with support when they ask for it and need it. Yes, absolutely. I want to talk to you about the uh, vaccination of support workers. Uh, obviously, we need those numbers to be very high, um, especially when the numbers of NDS participants are, are, are low. Um, how, how are you feeling about the mandatory uh, vaccination? And uh, are you concerned about um, um, how that's going to work? I am very pleased that National Cabinet said some months ago that they thought that uh, mandatory vaccination for um, support workers uh, would be necessary and uh, the Commission's been doing a lot of work with health um, and with um, states and territories to help them set the parameters for mandating um, vaccinations. Um, for, for workers working with people with disability, particularly workers that are working really closely and intimately with people. And, um, you know, I, I think it's really necessary. I mean, people, people are getting support they expect when they're receiving that support to not be exposed to things that are going to harm them. And if being vaccinated, if a support worker being vaccinated on top of good quality infection control, well, well done infection control, gives an added layer of protection for a person who relies on that worker for their support. I think that that is a good thing. And if health 
if the health um, advice is that that creates that added layer of protection and safety for a person with disability, then I welcome those health orders and, um, and we will certainly be looking to monitor providers' compliance with them. It's really important if the health advice is that this will make a difference to people's safety, then absolutely um, mandatory uh, vaccination should be something that we welcome. How do you monitor the compliance? Well, we'll be asking providers because, of course, at the end of the day, it's the employer's obligation to make sure that that the people that they employ and um, and uh, send out into the world to provide supports actually uh, have been vaccinated. So we'll be asking providers to give us access to their records to uh, help us be assured that they um, that they are actually vaccinating, um, well, that their workers are in fact vaccinated and they've got records of those vaccinations. Of course, we won't ask for private information. We'll ask for evidence that they're maintaining those records and um, it'll be included as part of their um, their cyclical audits about how they're, they're maintaining those records and, can, and are making sure that they're assuring themselves that the people who work for them and are delivering the support, the kinds of supports that are covered by a mandatory um, uh, requirement to be vaccinated are in fact vaccinated. It's it's absolutely their obligation. Right. Let's think now about people with disabilities who uh, want, you know, to make sure that their workers are vaccinated and some people might be self-managing or directly employing. Um, are you allowed to ask your worker if they've been vaccinated? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, if, you, if you're employing someone and you want to be sure that they've been vaccinated, then you should be asking them for proof. Um, I do, George. Whenever anyone comes into my home, I want to know. I want them to show me um, proof of vaccination. It's my right as a citizen. It's the right of people with disability as citizens to ask people that they're relying on people coming into their own homes to show them that they have that vaccination, if that's what you want and if that's what you're, um, you're telling people that they're signing up for when they're delivering supports to you. Does if they refuse, they can refuse to provide that and, and you might then make a decision that they're not going to be supporting you anymore if they won't, if they won't give you that evidence. Yeah, I think um, it's important that people know that they that they can ask that information for that information, and and, then, and also that they are able to have that conversation. I mean, I had to have that conversation a few weeks ago. It was actually um, after months and months and months of of asking someone to get vaccinated, and you know, it got to the point where I said. I can't have you on my team anymore until um, until you do, um, and and that that's that's been you know really hard. It's not easy to have those conversations. It's it's not it's not. I I agree. It's not an easy conversation, and because people some people have really really incredibly strong views about not being vaccinated um, for whatever reason. And, and they have a right to those views and they have, of course, a right to not to be vaccinated. But where it's your decision and, um, and you want to make sure that people who are coming into your house and providing you with support 
uh, and you want them to be vaccinated, that is your right. And um, and people need to weigh up what 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 is more important to them in that situation. Is it more important for them to not be vaccinated um, or is it more important for them to continue to, to work with you um, if that's your your the choice, the decision to be made? That's good advice. Are you concerned at all about the impact that mandatory vaccination is going to have on the availability of support workers? Look, George, it's it's going to be hard to, to know, but really the indications have been pretty good out of um, the mandatory vaccination um, examples that we've had. So, um, you know, quite a few months ago now, New South Wales put in place mandatory vaccination uh, requirements um, for people in the local government areas of concern, and um, and we didn't we didn't have uh, any catastrophic. Um, failures in the workforce, providers monitored that really closely. Um, certainly there were some people that said that they wouldn't do it, uh, but we have seen an exponential increase whenever that's been introduced, as I know it has in Victoria, of um, rates of vaccination of, of support workers. I think once this becomes a national expectation uh, and as each state and territory brings this in and we're able to um, you know, talk about this as something that is not going away. It's a, it's an, it's going to be an ongoing obligation for people. Uh, and as you know, people are settling into the the idea of what opening up means and what benefits there are in vaccination. I think that that will become even more, even even easier as the whole of the population kind of embraces uh, embraces the the benefits of vaccination. Um, but certainly, we didn't we didn't see big issues um, in in New South Wales, and we haven't seen them in Victoria in terms of workforce failures coming out of that mandatory um, requirement. Yeah, I think that's been uh, very very positive. That yeah. you know the take up has 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 increased um, as a result of the mandatory um, orders. I I, I do. Um, I do feel concerned, though, if there are people who, you know, who might be left without support. Um, and and look, I, you know, I've had a couple of people contact me actually um, to say, you know, what what do I do? I'm 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 a self managing participant, and um, a couple of my, my support workers are, are, are saying that they're not going to be vaccinated. It's going to take me, you know, months to try and find replacements. The mandate's coming in. Can they continue to work for me while when the mandate's in? You know, what am I going to do? And um, and it is going to be quite difficult for people um, who, where people do say, no, um, I'm not going to continue to work with, with you if you require me to be vaccinated. Um, we are putting in place as many supports as we possibly can. Mostly the NDIA is doing that to make sure that if people are worried that they're not going to have the right support, that there are, um, you know, people who can who can assist in, in fast-tracking bringing on other people. Um, that is going to be a particular issue, though, for people who are self-managed where, 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 as you described yourself, um, support workers are deciding that they can't continue and you've got a mandate date 
looming and you've got to try and find someone else to to cover those shifts that is going to be tricky there's no doubt about it there are all, all the public health orders though do give exemption provisions um, for for those dates and where you know where you are self-managing um, i have no doubt that there would be opportunities to seek exemptions for short periods of time to maintain workers uh if you you weren't able to replace them, um, I couldn't guarantee that, but I I do know they've all got exemption provisions, um, which are about trying to be as flexible as possible for people. Um, yeah. We've been working really closely with providers, where um, with the NDIA as well, we're um, monitoring that that take up rate of vaccination and um, and where providers are um, looking like there might be some issues um, working with them around making sure those shifts are filled so people aren't left without support. I think that's very important. You've uh, been in the thick of it um, through the last 18 months, uh, particularly um, you know, now that you've stepped into the role as the acting NDIS commissioner, and obviously before then as the registrar, um, what what lessons have you learned from the from the, the last eighteen months? Can you share with us some of your your words of of uh, oh my wisdom about what you've learned? And I'm interested because you know the, the pandemic um, has been something that we we all you know didn't really expect and we've all been trying our best to navigate our way through but you've sort of had a, a helicopter view of what's been going on what 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 have you learned and what can we uh what can we do better I'm going to start with something a little bit controversial, but oh. I know you don't mind a bit of controversy, yeah, you George. Don't it. <laughs> um, look, I am shocked um, when when I go on. Um, I go. I do a, a number of speaking engagements, and I do a number of webinars. Mostly, a lot, a lot of them with providers, and. Um, so I talk a lot about what the Commission's doing and what we expect of them through the pandemic and I talk about how they can't underestimate just how much of an impact the societal changes and the fact that this is a pandemic that has a characteristic that could be incredibly detrimental for so many people with disability but that they can't underestimate the anxiety and the stress and the difficulty that people with disability have faced throughout this whole thing and that that is different to the rest of the population. I, I continue to be shocked by the questions I get in those forums um, and disappointed that I have to constantly say, but it's a person's right to make a decision about their support. A person with disability has a right to feel protected and safe and you have a responsibility as a provider to make sure that you're doing everything, absolutely everything in your power to make sure that person understands what you're doing to keep them safe from this thing. I, I just, it's, it's like I've got to 
answer questions that, well, often I respond by saying, you know, people with disability are a citizen, are citizens of this country, yeah. um, they're citizens in this community, and and they have these added complexities in a pandemic, which you need to have, you need to think deeply about as the provider of really intimate supports to them. And it just, it, it the lesson is that we've still got a really, really long way to go with the principles that are in the NDIS around people with disability having rights and what the purpose of the supports in the NDIS are around social and economic participation and the roles of providers in facilitating that for people. I just, you know, I told you it would be a little bit controversial, but I, I'm just really disappointed. And I know that it's stuff, George, that you would see and live every day. Uh, a lot of your listeners would see and live every day. But I just um, I just continue to be naively shocked. I think by um, the level of such such basic things that I need to continue to explain to providers who are in very senior positions, often in organisations, so far into the NDIS in 2021 and in the middle of a pandemic. Um, the lesson is that we need to keep on, and we can never forget the need to keep on reminding um, providers and people who who um, work in this sector about what the NDIS is, what the convention is, and uh, that the, the main thing here is the rights of the person with disability and their job uh, is to make sure that they're acting on um, people, supporting people to exercise those rights. Then I think the most basic right is, you know, the right to life, right? And uh, yep. that's yep. what's been yep. put, at, put at risk um, um, during this pandemic. And I'm, I'm very, you know, very um, uh, pleased that, you know, you're out there telling providers that they need to do better and that they need and you acknowledge that they've done some good work um and absolutely some of them have um but those who uh, are, are not quite there yet yeah they absolutely need to step up yep yep um look i i think I mean, I could talk forever about lessons. Uh, I think we all kind of started in this thing thinking that it was going to be uh, a much shorter event than it was. I think intellectually, you know, people didn't really grasp what the effect of a 100-year pandemic event was. It's hard to imagine how much your life would change. Um, I guess I, I think one of the big lessons and, and actually one of the big opportunities that's come out of this is such a strong connection between um, the health system and the disability system and really um, breaking down a lot of the barriers um, that, that we've all, when, when you've worked and lived in the disability um, kind of um, sector for so long, you know, there's been so many barriers over so many years to, you know, well, that's a disability issue and that's a health issue and 
they'll never meet. But I think through this, we've we've really made some inroads. And um, I mean, the national roadmap on on um, you know health for people with intellectual disability is is a, a, a great example of what can flourish when you um, when you get that acknowledgement that um, uh, about you know, the importance of health systems responding well to the needs of people with disability. And I, I think we've we've had some real inroads in, in in recognition in the health system around the very particular needs of people with disability through this event. And George, I have to say, no, in no small part down to you and your colleagues in, in really um, pushing uh, health to be responsive um, to the needs of people with disability and to recognise um, the very particular needs. I think you and and your colleagues have done a spectacular job in um, in making the deficiencies in the health system um, really, really clear um, and the urgency in resolving those through the pandemic. Um, I often say to people forward. that, I often say that people the most uh, terrifying aspect of the pandemic is that it's uh, uh, you know, has meant that people have had to think about you know what 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 happens to me if I'm in the hospital and you know I can't have support workers um, who know what I need um, day to day you know it takes months for people to learn how to support me and uh, I really think that the health system and the NDIS uh, you're right, have, have started a, a really important conversation, but boy, do we have a long way to go. With respect oh, to that. oh <laughs> yes, yes, we do, but the but but it's it's the conversation's it's happening. Yes, I mean, you know, would you have ever thought that you would be in fortnightly meetings with the Department of Health <laughs> talking about um, the needs of people with disability? Um, you know what th even three years ago I mean you know it just wouldn't have wouldn't have happened so you know I think that it's done it's done a lot to raise that 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 understanding but gee yeah a long way to go got to get into those hospital doors and create the change inside um uh, we yeah. saw the uh Samantha Taylor acting and commissioner thank you for joining me Thank you, George. It's always a pleasure. Um, and, you know, keep on doing what you're doing. It's, it makes a huge difference. Thank you. You too. Bye. <laughs> Bye. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. To be notified of future episodes, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. Thanks for watching, and until next time, stay well and reasonable.